Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition, filmed today on June 13th, 2016. We are going to be talking about doing your due diligence on mutual funds. My name is Gabby LaPera. Joining me on Skype is Jordan Wathen, an analyst in our Financials Bureau. Thanks for calling in. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. And in order not to bore our listeners with small talk about the weather, I suggest we dive right into mutual funds. Sounds good. I like that idea. Um, Do you want to give a brief description of what a mutual fund is? So, just in short and very simply, a mutual fund is basically a collection of investments, uh, stocks or bonds, that are owned by a number of owners. So, you buy a share of a mutual fund, which basically entitles you to ownership of a portion of its portfolio of stocks and bonds. So, it's a way to buy a diversified portfolio of investments really easily. That makes sense to me. Um, are there? There's a lot of different types of mutual funds out there, um, and a lot of people who have, for example, access to 401ks, or even just people who are interested in investing their money in a very diversified way. A lot of them are interested in mutual funds and are invested in mutual funds. But there's a lot you kind of need to know about mutual funds before you invest in it. It's just like any other stock. You need to to do your homework before you buy, right? Right, right. So that's what we hope to do today is turn you in kind turn you into kind of a fun nerd of sorts. <laughs> You're gonna be the talk of the dinner party. Everyone's gonna be like, Oh, I hope I sit next to so and so. They know so much about mutual funds. <laughs> right, right. So so if we can just dive into it, um, one of the things that I think that people do is they buy a mutual fund and they don't look at the paperwork that they get from it. Because you know, if you own a mutual fund, you'll receive all kinds of things in the mail, statements and annual reports. But I really do think they're worth pouring over. Uh, one of the things we should talk about today is probably something called an NCSR, which stands for Certified Shareholder Report. And this report basically produces something. It looks it looks a lot like an income statement that you would see for an individual company. So before the show, I looked at uh, Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund, which is one of the biggest index funds out there. And if you look at its report, it basically shows you how the fund generated income over the past year. So it's sources of revenue, per se. So those were really just three sources. You had dividends from the stocks it owns, interest from short-term treasuries, and basically cash that it keeps on deck to uh, fund redemptions as they come in as people sell the fund. And then it earns money by lending out the stocks it owns to basically short sellers for the most part. That's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> does it also does it also give you an idea of what their portfolio looks like? Well, yeah, it does. It, if you if you go further down, you'll see a listing of you know its portfolio companies. And for the S and P five hundred index fund, obviously, you pretty ha- you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to own. It's basically the five hundred largest stocks on American exchanges. Right, of course, because it's it's tracking um, the the S and P five hundred. Um, so, if you have an NCSR sitting in front of you, what are the th- most important things to look at? Well, I think what's really interesting to look at is to look at it like an operating business, less as a fund. So, if you look at the income statement, for example, you'll see it's three sources of income, and then you'll also see expenses, which obviously we harp on a lot at the Fool. Uh, the lower the expense of a mutual fund, all things equal, the better its performance should be. 
And Vanguard basically breaks out its expenses into management expenses, you know, advisory fees, what it pays its staff to run the fund, custodian fees, which are basically the cost to basically store the stocks at a custodian bank, and even costs like to print shareholder reports, which Vanguard is so big, last year it spent about $1.2 million just producing and sending those reports to shareholders for its S&P 500 funds. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's, an, it's just a colossal amount of money if you really think about it. And all in all, because this fund is ho- so large, even though it has a tiny, tiny expense ratio, uh, the expenses to run its S&P 500 index funds actually added up to about $132 million last year. That's nuts. How, do you know about how much is, um, is invested in that fund, though? Uh, between all its funds and the different share classes, it's, it's more than $200 billion. So it's, it's a lot <laughs> of money, right? Yeah, so... So $130, $150 million here and there is not, it's not yeah. really, that's so, that's so tiny in comparison. Yeah, it's tiny. Well, especially <laughs> consider this, right? So the, in the same year, it generated $4.5 billion just from dividends on the stocks it owns. So we're talking substantial amounts of money. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a lot of money. It's hard to wrap your head around that much money. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And it's funny too. Like, so one of the expenses was auditing fees, for example. Not to get too into the nitty gritty, but they paid forty thousand dollars in auditing fees, and for what must be the easiest auditing auditing job in the world, right? Uh, are the five hundred stocks there? Yeah, they're there. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's crazy. I feel like that's something that that that's like work that we give our interns to do. Um, which, speaking of which, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, you guys should get excited for next week because we're gonna do an interns ask episode which should be interesting and exciting and I have no idea what they're going to say to us so if you have any basic questions I guess try and get in touch with one of our interns and they'll ask it for you. <laughs> um, so going back to the to the mutual funds and um, the NCSR I think one of the things that you mentioned that we talk about a lot here is the the fees the expense ratio that you are that you are going to pay with pretty much with all mutual funds that you that you own. Um, or want to buy, what would be on average, do you think, I know I'm asking you to guess off the top of your head, what would you say on average expense ratio would be for, for one of these mutual funds? Not well, for so Vanguard, just for the industry as a whole. If you own an actively managed mutual fund, the fees are generally, what we'll say about one percentage point a year. So that the actively management actively managed funds cost more, obviously, because they have to hire analysts. What you know, They're doing actual stock picking. Index funds, like a Vanguard index fund, can be as cheap as 0.1% a year or 0.2% a year. So a fifth to the tenth to a tenth of the cost of an active fund. And the reason that they're so much cheaper, in case you're wondering, is because they aren't doing active stock picking. They're picking based on just factors that exist. So, for example, the, the one of the most popular Vanguard funds is one that tracks the S&P 500. They literally just get those 500 stocks or companies and they're like, okay, done. That doesn't right, require exactly. active so, management. So if, if, you look at, if you look at Vanguard's index fund for the S&P 500, I think turnover was actually 3% last year. So they only bought and sold about 3% of their stocks last year, which is pretty inactive as far as funds go. Yeah. Um, but the, the bigger, the actively, they're not bigger, I guess, because the Vanguard one's one of the biggest mutual funds in the world. But uh, the actively managed ones, they're going to have higher fees because, like Jordan said, you're paying all these people to be to be stock pickers on your behalf, basically. But what a lot of people don't realize, because they see 1% and they're like, oh, that's not much. You know, that's only a dollar if you have 100. Like, I, that's not that bad. Um, it stacks up. 
eventually. Like if you're investing a lot of money, one percent is a lot. It's a lot to be taken out of what what you're getting, right? Right, right. That, that's why I think it's so important actually to really actually look at the accounting behind a fund because if accounting is a language of business, I know I heard that all the time in undergrad. Uh, then it's definitely the language of a fund too. It really, it really, uh, I guess, cements you know some central ideas that are pretty important to investing. So if you turn to Vanguard's uh, annual report for its fund, you'll come to the conclusion that dividends are really important to total returns. Right? This fund generated 4.5 billion dollars alone in dividend income in one year. Dividends—that's something we talk about a lot too. That's where a lot of the return from stocks comes from, or, or from dividends. And then you also learn too that the costs of managing a fund go well past just management fees. You know, you have the auditing fees, you have the cost to send out shareholder reports. Uh, there are a lot of advantages to scale, which Vanguard's huge, so it can spread that, spread those expenses across a lot of uh, invested dollars. Absolutely. And then you can also see there's there's one thing I really like is you can look at its net investment income over time, which basically tells you how much income the fund is generating per share. And it allows you to track how the the dividend growth basically of the underlying portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. So I, if you take one thing away from this podcast, it's check the expense ratios on your mutual fund, especially the ones that are in four hundred one k's, because I think a lot of people don't bother to check on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to my boss earlier today, and he said that his brother in law was his money was in a four hundred one k, hadn't checked on what fund it was in, and the expense ratio was two point seven five percent. Oh man, yeah, that's that's incredible. See, I I actually helped a friend with his four hundred one k, and he had two S and P five hundred fund choices, one of which cost something like point one percent a year, and the other one was point four percent a year. Which, if you're not paying attention, it's very easy to pick the higher fee fund, and end up paying more in fees than you have to. These funds are exactly the same. You know, they own the same stocks; they're going to get the same return. But after fees, one is obviously going to outperform the other. Exactly. Um. So I have to take a brief break and ask you guys, did you miss Foolfest? Does that have you down in the dumps? Do you even know what Foolfest is? Well, you are in luck. We've got a digital pass to Foolfest. It's videos of the most popular sessions, including five stocks for the next decade. David Gardner talking about the stocks on his watch list. Presentations by Morgan Housel, Tim Hansen, Brian Hinman, um, and people who are more popular than me. I didn't get to talk at Foolfest, and I'm a little bit bitter. To get a sneak preview of our Foolfest Digital Pass, go to digitalpass.fool.com slash focus. Okay, so we've been talking a little bit about what you need to know when you are looking for mutual funds. We talked about NCSR, we talked about um, uh, expense ratios, all that good stuff. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, Vanguard? We wanted to talk about Vanguard because there's a really great um, Economist article on it, and you can't really talk about mutual funds today without talking about Vanguard. Um, so some background on it: it was uh, founded in 1975 by John Bogle. People throw around the word disruption all the time, which I think kind of cheapens it. But Vanguard really did disrupt the world of mutual funds. Right. No, they absolutely did. And the story is really interesting because when Vanguard started, they actually encountered a ton of roadblocks. So I don't, I don't know if you tried to launch Vanguard today, you could do it. It's, it's really kind of remarkable. So originally, an important thing to understand about Vanguard is it is owned by the people who invest in its funds. So just like if you bank at a credit union and you're a quote unquote member, 
you are an owner of the credit union. So the credit union, like basically the, the credit union's goal isn't to make a profit. Vanguard's goal is not to make a profit, right? Vanguard's goal is to basically end the year kind of where it started. And that's how they are able to keep their fees so low is they don't have a profit motive like most management companies do. So when Vanguard started its first S&P 500 fund, it actually, it really failed to gain traction. The, the Economist article, it's excellent. Everyone, I would say go read it. Uh, Vanguard's first S&P 500 fund actually lost assets for the first seven years in business. So f- I think it was actually 83 months, so we'll round to seven years. So for the first seven years, the amount of money it had invested in it went down. And for it really says something about Vanguard's belief in what they had, that they stuck with it despite the fact they were losing assets for seven years, which is basically an eternity in the, in the world of investments. Yeah, and it's nuts because now, if you look at them, they have they manage three point five trillion dollars, which put another With way, <laughs> yeah, trillion, trillion, not not billion, um, which put another way is one in every five dollars invested in an ETF or a mutual fund goes to Vanguard. Vanguard owns five percent of every public American company. Right, That's it's one it's, place. It's insane. It's huge. It's insane, and it it really speaks to what they've put together. And how they've really convinced investors that, yeah, a low fee way is the right way to go. And for a lot of people, I think it is. <clears throat> yeah. And in case you guys are curious about where we're pulling these, um, these facts, it's from an Economist article called Index We Trust. If you really don't want to get on the Google and search it yourself, I will send it to you if you email me at industryfocus@fool.com. But it should be fairly easy to find. Right, right. And one of the things it really talks about, which I think is interesting, is that Vanguard's funds, when they first started out, they weren't really cheap as, we, as they are today. So it, there's, really, there's a good chart on there. It shows in 1980, the average Vanguard fund had an expense ratio of about 0.6% of assets. And today, its average expense ratio is less than 0.2% of assets. So they're more than three times cheaper today than they were, what is that, 35 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, 35 years ago, I got to check my math. So, and, and really, Vanguard sits on top of a revolution towards passive investments generally. So the Economist piece notes that Americans withdrew $145 billion from active funds last year and put almost $400 billion into passive index funds like Vanguard's. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. But I'm sure that the listeners at home or in the car or running are wondering, so if if Vanguard isn't out to make money for itself, like what's its motivation? Well, the motivation is basically to drive down investment investment costs. I mean, uh, John Bogle, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he basically mm-hmm. started with the idea that, hey, you know, a mutual uh, asset management company should actually work for its investors. And it's kind of funny because if you look at the top performing stocks over the last 25 or 30 years, they're like, asset management firms make up a huge percentage of them because running money is a very good business, right? When you can take 1% of investors' assets every year and take it in the form of fees on an asset base that should go up over time, right? So stocks should go up over time. So the fees should go up over time. Is it just a remarkably good business for the owners of the asset management firm, not necessarily necessarily for the investors in its funds? Yeah. And it's this is a really crazy concept in finance because what John Bogle did because you don't often find people who are just like I'm gonna do something that is solely for the good of the investors without also having an asterisk on the side saying and then I'm gonna make a lot of money 
more money than I maybe necessarily would have if I was actually had the investors um, good completely as my focus. Right, right. So if you look at a company like Blackstone, they're known for running private equity funds. They charge huge fees. I mean, they've absolutely just, you know, they've absolutely destroyed everyone in private equity. But in no way have uh, has uh, Schwartzman, you know, uh, stayed poor because, you know, because of it. it. He's definitely making a boatload of money and so have its investors. So Right. And to be fair, Vanguard is also making a boatload of money, but they're making a boatload of money by being the best. And I think people recognize that they have their best interest at heart. So it's, it's, it's beneficial for them to move over to Vanguard. Right, right, exactly. Because, I mean, yeah, sure, like 0.1% doesn't sound like a lot until it's 0.1% of $3.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. Th- th- that's a lot. That's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Um, but Vanguard has a variety of funds, right? I think almost everyone knows about their S&P 500 fund, which literally just tracks it. But they have, they have other funds that are... I hesitate to call them actively managed, but are a little bit more selective in what they what they have in the fund, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely actively managed, um, but they they don't carry the fees like an actively managed fund would, because of course, again, Vanguard has no profit motive. So one of one of its more popular funds, or one that's I guess gaining traction recently with interest rates near zero, is a fund that's called the Vanguard Dividend Growth Fund, and basically this fund's objective is to go find income stocks that are going to pay more in dividends, you know, three, five, ten years from now than they do today. And it's actually been a very, it's been an excellent performing fund. So I went to Morningstar and I looked at the data. And if you look over the last one year, the last three years, the last five years, the last 10 years, and the last 15 years, it's actually outperformed the S&P 500, which is incredible to say the least. Right. Um, and I think that the name of the fund, the dividend income, I can't remember exactly what it's called. Remind dividend me. growth fund. The dividend growth fund, I think, is really attractive to investors. Um, this is something that we actually see here, which is that articles that have the word dividend or income in them just tend to outperform other articles. Um, and I don't and I don't 100% know why, because it's really interesting to me, because we'll talk about energy stocks, for examples, or MLP um like master limited partnership type companies, um, which are almost always in the energy space, and people won't click on that article. Mm-hmm. But people will click on articles that talk about dividends, and there's tons of MLPs that have dividends. So it's one of those things that it's like some kind of something about the word dividend or income just triggers something in people, and they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this. Right, it does. And, and I think what happens a lot, unfortunately, is that people get their retirement account information from their employer, and they really just pick these investments based on their name. Which is unfortunate because an employer will just hand you a sheet of paper that has all these fund choices, and unless you really actually put through the effort to go look into them, you know, all you have is a fund name. Right, and let's be clear: the dividend fund has done really, really well in terms of beating the S and P. How's it done in dividends? Well, see, that's the interesting thing. That's that's what I find so interesting is that despite the fact that this fund has outperformed over long periods of time in terms of total return, dividend growth has actually lagged the S and P. So over the last three years, the fund's income growth, which is basically its dividend growth, grew at 7.4% versus 11.7% for the S&P. So that's about a 4% difference. Over the last five years, the fund has actually had dividend growth of about 9.3% a year versus 13.3% for the S&P 500. Again, that's about a 4% difference. So that's a huge difference. And so while the fund's beating the S&P 500, it isn't necessarily living up to its name. 
Yeah. And does that mean that you need to if, go and check your 401k right now and pull all your funds out of that particular uh, index fund or mutual fund if you're in it? Not necessarily. I mean, like it is still doing really great, but you know, maybe there's other options for you that are a little bit more low cost, although it's a Vanguard fund, so I'm sure it's very low cost. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly inexpensive, but you know, not to pick on them too hard because picking stocks that are going to outperform the market is hard enough, right? Like, that's something that very few, a very small percentage of uh, active managers can actually do. And then picking stocks that are going to outperform the market and grow dividends at a faster pace than the broad market, I mean, that's it's really setting an extremely high bar. It's pretty easy to go out there and, and find a stock that will grow its dividends faster than the S&P 500, right? Like, the companies we talked about on this show, Visa and MasterCard, they are tremendous businesses that throw off tons of cash and can and pay a very small percentage of their net income as a dividend. Theoretically, they could double their dividends tomorrow and it wouldn't be a big deal. But whether they're going to outperform the market at 30 times earnings is a different question altogether, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, we've talked about what you think about mutual funds, what I think about mutual funds, what Vanguard thinks about mutual funds. Um, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about what two of the greatest investors of all time think about mutual funds, which is Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Right. So, Warren Buffett, actually, he has been become a big proponent of the index fund. He basically said that when he passes, he wants his wealth to stay in a trust invested 90% in the S&P 500 index through a fund like Vanguard's and then 10% of it in short-term government securities and he's become, you know, that article upon article has been written about how simple that is and his little retirement plan. I think I actually wrote one. Yeah. But uh, Charlie Munger, who's his right-hand man, actually sees the world a little bit differently and he actually said at a meeting of Daily Journal share, shareholders that he said this is a quote Index funds will be permanent owners who can never sell, and that will give them power they are not likely to use well. Yeah. Which so, stands in direct contrast to what Buffett said. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think that we should break that down a little bit more, because what what Charlie Munger is getting at is something that we hinted at earlier when we said that Vanguard owns 5% of all American public companies, which is that these these giant funds are going to slowly start accumulating more and more share in these companies, and the question is, what are they going to do with it? Right. So, so actually, let's let's look at a company, American Express. Right. That's that's part of the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. It's one of its biggest investments. Uh, for a brief time, I believe it was last fall, Value Act, which is an activist investor, briefly considered running an activist campaign against it. They bought something like a, more than a billion dollars of stock in American Express. And it was rumored that they were going to try to get rid of American Express's CEO, Ken Chennault. Well, that fell through, you know, Value Act, I guess, couldn't find the votes or couldn't get the votes, so they sold, right? So they can walk away. Vanguard or, say, BlackRock, which manage piles, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of index assets, don't have that same ability. They can't sell a stock. They have to track the index. Right. Um, and it's really interesting because they do have... I mean, eventually they could have such a large stake in companies where they they could act as activist investors if they wanted to. Right. If they wanted to. If right. They so that, that's to. the big one. So, <laughs> yeah. in, in the index fund world, there's really three names that really matter. Right. There's Vanguard, obviously, which is huge. There's BlackRock, which is huge. They own iShares, the ETFs, and then there's State Street. And if you look, so look at a company like Apple, which is I think the largest constituent in the S and P 500 index. 
these three companies, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street, collectively own about 13% of Apple. So when a vote, so when an issue comes up for vote at Apple, they control 13% of those votes. That's a lot of power in just three hands. Yeah, and I mean, who knows what they're going to do with it, right? Because, I mean, they could do anything, but they might also choose to do nothing because they, I don't, I don't really know what they would want to do. Do you? Well, see, that's the thing. So as an investor in a mutual fund, you can, there's another SEC filing you can look at. And if there's anything that, you know, we talk about a lot, it's go to the SEC and just look, just poke around. But mutual funds file something called an NPX. And the NPX filing for a mutual fund basically shows how the fund voted on corporate governance matters at its portfolio companies. So how it voted for or against certain board members at certain companies. And over time, actually, the, ind- the index managers haven't been that activist at all. So uh, one issue was it was a big deal in 2013. Hewlett Packard uh, actually had a slate of board of directors up for an election and Vanguard voted against them. And that turned out to be headline news just because of how rare it is for a company like Vanguard to actually take a strict you know, position and say, no, we're actually actively voting against management here. Yeah, that's. I don't know. It's really interesting to me because you don't really know what the motives are for these giant companies. And I guess the the worry could be that they get so much of a share of these companies that they start doing things that maybe aren't 100% kosher. But I guess they are technically legal just because they own so much of it and they can. You know, like maybe they'll start manipulating things. Right. Well, there's kind of a conflict of interest, too. So if if you're BlackRock, and not to pick on BlackRock in particular, but you live and die based on your assets under management. So the more assets you have in your funds, the more money you make. And a lot of these assets come from retirement accounts. And a lot of these retirement accounts are at you know, S&P 500 companies that probably wouldn't like to send their employees' retirement funds to a fund that's going to vote against the CEO at, you know, when it comes uh, voting time. Uh, yeah, I know. I just I feel... I feel like there's there's just this knot in the middle of my chest when I start thinking about things like this because part of me is like this is great like Vanguard gives people a lot of options it's um, if you're gonna if you want to diversify your portfolio for a really cheap amount Vanguard is a great way to go um, mutual funds in general are a great way to go once you've done your done your homework but then the other part of me thinks like what happens when everyone joins this mutual fund and then then what happens? Then what happens with the management of the mutual fund? You just have to hope that they have everyone's best interest at heart. And who yeah. knows if they actually, even if they have everyone's best interest at heart, maybe who knows whether or not they'll actually make good decisions. Right. And that's the thing is like, so I looked at an NPX filing for Vanguard before we did the show and I just scrolled through it and I would say, and I'm just spitballing this, we're going to say like 99.5% of the time Vanguard voted with management. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not stirring up any feathers at their portfolio companies. And, you know, there, there's an argument to be made, too, that companies like Vanguard don't want to invest a lot of time in this, because if they go hire, eight, you know, say, 50 analysts to just look at corporate governance issues all day, that's just more expenses they have to pass on to the investor. Right. Uh, the other issue that I thought was really interesting with mutual funds is that some people are concerned, some like government type people or analysts are concerned that when people pile into mutual funds, um, they might have a really a much more amplified effect on the economy than you would expect, right? So like say you have all these people in Black um, BlackRock and Vanguard um, 
and the market dips and people leave the mutual fund or the index fund or whatever they're in, um, and then the fund has to sell the shares of the company, and you know maybe that artificially depresses the price of the company because, you know, uh, people are leaving it in mass. So say you have an S and P five hundred like that, and Vanguard sells off a lot of it. People are saying that it might, it might mess with the economy more than if the economy were just to naturally dip by itself. Yeah, th- there's a really actually compelling argument that the index ETF for junk bonds actually made the oil, the whole oil situation worse because companies that might have never gotten financing before were getting financing from junk bond ETFs, which were getting in, you know, billions of dollars were going into junk bond ETFs like, you know, week after week after week. And so these, these managers just had to go out and buy something, right? right? So if you have to go buy something and you have all this pile of money to do it and your mandate is to go buy something, sometimes you end up financing deals that turn out to be bad, as we've learned in you know over the last year or so. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, though, is that even though people are concerned about that potentially happening, um, even with economic downturns, people haven't really left stuff that tracks like funds that track index fund, um, indexes, indices, I suppose it is. Yeah. Um, actually, it can be either. It can be either indices or indexes. Grammar tip of the day. It just That's depends on what style you're writing. Um, go look it up in your in your style book for whatever your your institution uses. So people people are concerned that that that, that they would leave these um, indices, but even during economic downturns, people don't really like they just stay they just stay in the mutual fund or the index fund or whatever it is, um, and they're not really a hundred percent sure why. But I guess there is always that fear that people could change their behavior and just leave. Yeah, I, I think Vanguard has trained people really well, uh, in particular, to just stay the course. Uh, I would say, on average, your typical Vanguard index investor is probably a little more cognizant of the reality that it's not so. It's not. It's a much better deal to sell stocks when they're high, not when you know you're worried about the world is crumbling. Yeah. So I think that we've we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Did you get to talk about everything you want to talk about? Uh, no, I, th- I think we've got it all. Okay. Excellent. So I'm going to leave listeners with these reminders. Know your fund, do your homework, and check filings. The easiest way to do that is to either go to a company's website or, in this case, go to SEC, that's S as in securities, E as in exchange, and C as in commission, .gov slash Edgar, as in your great uncle Edgar, <laughs> to check out the, fun, the filings that these uh, funds have posted. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus um, to let us know what you think about mutual funds and if you've invested in any of them. Thank you to Austin Morgan, our baseball lover behind the glass, and thank you to y'all for joining us. Hope everyone has a great week.